Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a quick survey before we go on. Uh, who of you saw some of the coronation last night? Okay, that is useful to know. We'll come back to that. Uh, as we uh, arrive at 1 Kings uh, 3 and 4 this morning, it got me thinking that life is complicated. I don't really need to tell you that, do I? You know it. Uh, how many difficult decisions have you had to make in the last month or year or decade? Are decisions about what to do when it isn't clear what is best, when you don't know everything and when you don't control much of anything? Uh, decisions related to uh, you and your dealings with other people, about how to communicate or the really big one, how to deal with conflict. Uh, maybe there's one realm of life that's an obvious reminder of the complexity across many. Uh, see what you think when I suggest it to you. Family. Yeah, okay, a few people got it. Uh, do I need to give any other example? Uh, who has an experienced complexity in their family? And it at different times of life, you can point beyond those responsibilities to others as well, whether it's work or in retirement, to those even here at church. Life is complicated. It can be complex. And I don't say that to overwhelm you, but instead, well, to acknowledge it and comfort you. It's not just your health, your finances or your family. Uh, these things go on for all of us. And as followers of Jesus, I think we know the reasons why. It's because we're human and have limitations. Uh, we're not God, and so we can't control others. Uh, and yet we like to think we're God, thinking we can take his place, yet we can't even control ourselves. How can we survive then? How can we thrive? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 and 4 show that is possible and what it shows us is how. Where we need a hearing heart, we need to ask of the giving God and we need the riches of the king and kingdom of God. So do have 1 Kings uh, 3 open in front of you. Uh, <clears throat> where if our lives take this shape, we can navigate life's complexity, its decisions, its relationships, as we depend on the one alone who gives life. Now, before we dive in, let me give you uh, two reminders about how we're reading one Kings, in fact, how we read any part of the Bible. Uh, the first is, we don't read it simply as a moral guide, you know, a sort of be like this character, don't be like that. Uh, it's a common mistake to read the Old Testament in particular, but the New Testament as well, this way, uh, and say, well, Israel were the people of God then. Uh, we, the church of the people of God today, do what they did right and don't do what they did wrong. But actually, uh, it's the good news that Jesus is Lord that he is our king, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, all those things mean the same thing. That is what interprets the whole Bible and makes sense of it. So we don't make the jump 
on the, uh, the yellowy-orange line there, uh, this is how we read God's word through Jesus, which I've sort of put as the cross there, uh, where we answer these three questions. What did it mean for them then? How is it fulfilled in Jesus? And what does it mean for us united to him? That means you can't just open your Bible, drop in at any old place and take it like what they were meant to do there is what you're meant to do now. It, it, it requires some effort, uh, but God's got a solution for that. And we'll see that in a minute. The other reminder, which flows out of the first, uh, is that not everything is black and white. Uh, remember how we began today? Life is complex, it is complicated. When we read the Bible, and one of the ways in which uh, I'm sure it shows its authenticity uh, is that its pages and people in it, uh, they experience the complexity and messiness of life as well, as we do. So as we read 1 Kings, it's not simple as simple as, you know, the old westerns you'd see in the movies where the good guys wear white hats and the will villains wear black hats. Or in the modern day version, for those of us who are a bit younger, where Luke and Leia wear white and Darth Vader wears black. Uh, Solomon is more complex than that. 1 Kings as well. And the way chapter 3 begins in verses 1 to 3 are a good example of that. So let's begin there. On the one hand, Solomon marrying Pharaoh, king of Egypt's daughter, puts him on the world stage. In the world as Israel knew it, Egypt was the big fish. Uh, they were the superpower of Solomon's day. A marriage alliance with Egypt is huge politically. It says that Israel are playing in the game with the big people. Uh, on the other hand, uh, your Bible reading alarm bell might have at least rung a sound of warning at this point. Egypt? Uh, weren't they told? Weren't they rescued from Egypt? And now he's going back? The same could be said of what follows next with the high places. On the one hand, verse 3, uh, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the, instruction, the instructions given him by his father, David. Solomon showed his love for the Lord. Those words, uh, in that, that way, weren't even spoken about King David, Solomon's father. And yet, on the other hand, that verse ends like this. And again, those alarm bells should be ringing a note of warning. Uh, the final words are, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Now, the people in Solomon were making their sacrifices to God at these high places, which had been notorious for idol worship uh, among the, the land's former inhabitants. What should we draw from all this? Well, there's a tension, isn't there? Uh, we need to uh, read thoughtfully. We need to think about the wider context. And there is a richness and breadth and depth to God's word where when we give it our attention, we need not be frightened of it. 
but we come humbly before it. Now, if this is uh, one to three, set the scene for these two chapters. Uh, and as King Solomon goes uh, to make his sacrifices, we read this in verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow. <clears throat> What an exciting day in his life. Uh, we'll come back to the offer in a minute. Uh, let's uh, keep going on to see in the first place what Solomon uh, answered. Uh, I'm not going to read it all out, but did you notice that his first concern, his focus is on the Lord and the Lord's kindness and David's and his experience of it. Did you also see the king of Israel, the one who has rule and authority in the whole land of Israel, he sees himself as a servant of the Lord. And on top of that, uh, he's all too aware of his own inadequacy for his responsibilities as king over God's numerous people. And so listen to what he asks for in verse 9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And isn't it great to hear Solomon not asking for himself and what would suit him and his purposes before God, but so that he can serve responsibly in the responsibility God has given him. And that Solomon asked that, uh, we read in verse 10, the Lord was pleased. You can't help but think that the prayer is already being answered, that he asked for this. And isn't this how we should all think? Isn't this what life is about? Pleasing the Lord. Take a moment to consider what he's asking for as well. A discerning heart. Uh, when I read that, I, first, uh, I found myself thinking uh, of wisdom to make good choices. That's sort of the first sort of understanding of discerning that came into my mind to manage challenging and difficult situations that are part of my life. That's the idea discerning has, hasn't it? And likewise, the second part of it, the heart bit, we've seen this before, the heart in the Old Testament is talking about the core of who I am. We tend to use language about our minds uh, today, but that's what heart is talking about. And I've been helped bringing the two together, the discerning and the heart, I've been helped to have it pointed out to me, and I'm sharing it with you, is that the, in the original language, the overwhelming sense of what's being said here is Give your servant a hearing heart, a listening heart. That will bring with it discernment. Well, it can, depending on who you're listening to. But here's the thing. There's no need to shift from hearing uh, to the idea of discerning because what is the way we experience God? 
that we're told countless times in his word, and that's a clue, it's through him speaking to us uh, by his word. Uh, Given in the time to Solomon in part, uh, as chapter 2 reminded us last week, in the decrees, commands, his laws and regulations written in the law of Moses, given to us now fully and finally in our Bibles. The the problem for us isn't that the Lord hasn't said enough or that he hasn't spoken clearly enough. It's whether or not we truly listen. Uh, God's king asks for the thing which pleases God more than anything else. He asks for a hearing heart that will hear his speaking Lord. In that way, he'll be able to navigate his responsibilities and challenges as king, as a servant of the Lord, as ruler of the Lord's kingdom. Now, how does this point us to the Lord Jesus? Well, he takes it to a whole other level. Solomon ruled at the mountaintop of Israel's experience of God in the land, but it would not last. He would not ultimately be obedient as we saw in the last part of our first reading. The Lord Jesus, his hearing heart was flawless. He knew the Father in heaven's word and he obeyed it willingly. Uh, Just as one example, take the temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of the Gospels. How does he meet it when he is tempted to disobey God? By recalling and applying God's word. Now for us, it's uh, not through the structures of old Israel and the sacrifices and the temple that's soon to be built. Uh, it, it, it's through Jesus and his sacrifice of himself and now the gift of his spirit that we're able to have hearing hearts as well, to know God and ourselves and our world so that we might live in wisdom. Because Jesus is, as he himself said in Matthew 12, the one greater than Solomon who has arrived. And what does John call him? We've been talking about uh, speaking and hearing. Uh, What does John call him at the beginning of his gospel? The word. Because Jesus uh, captures in all his fullness the speaking God Because a hearing heart is what pleases God in his king and in all his subjects, and because he longs to answer that prayer, that should be a prayer we ask as well. Of course, we're not being asked to be the king of the kingdom like Solomon, but what God wants for the king, he wants for all. And so we need to be people who follow his example. Not just Solomon's, but Jesus. Let us ask for a hearing heart, a listening heart, which moves beyond looking like it's listening but distracted by something else or that has heard and yet ignores the Lord's word. Have you ever had the experience where uh, there's someone you're meant to be listening to 
and they ask you if you're listening to them only to hear the words come out of your mouth. Sorry, what did you say? Don't look at each other in the room. Uh, Or have you ever known what is appropriate and godly and yet justified doing the opposite with the words, but this is different? Ask God for a heart which listens carefully and deeply uh, where everything we need to hear from him is given to us in his word, the Bible. What did Jesus say in our reading from Matthew 7 in verse 24? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And what is the first thing that Jesus says to us? Believe in me. But he says so much more as well. Ask for a hearing heart and you will be wise to navigate uh, your life. Uh, This is the foundational prayer, isn't it, on which our other prayers are built because this is the prayer we pray for ourselves and we can pray for each other and we may pray for others. Uh, But on this foundation, all the others are built. And as, we, as the Lord answers this prayer, which he says in James chapter 1 that he's delighted to do as well in the New Testament, you too will be able to discern between right and wrong. Not decide for yourself what is right and wrong, but know the king's heart for what is right and wrong. Navigate the many facets of your life. And given that uh, we heard talk of being transformed earlier, uh, I'm reminded at this point of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, which speaks of being transformed as followers of Jesus by the renewing of our minds. It's having a hearing heart. A hearing heart that then knows the will of God in our lives. Now, I toyed uh, with which order to put these uh, uh, two sort of guides of where we're heading today, in which order, you know, the the having a hearing heart and then this one. Uh, They could go either way, and I said I'd come back to this. Uh, But do you feel the wonder and joy of what's going on here that started in verse 5? That started when the Lord invited Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. It's actually wonderful, even just to be able to uh, look on. Uh, It should fill us with joy. Because this question and his response reveal that the Lord is a giving God. The Lord was pleased to give Solomon what he asked, what he asked and so much more, wisdom, wealth, Honour, no equal among other kings. There's no value in being able to ask anything of someone who can't do anything. But the Lord, awesome creator, promise keeper, generous giver. Put the generosity of God and the 
the invitation of God together. And what do you get? An extraordinary experience of God and life. Uh, It's a promise that began our reading. Well, I I should have got us to read from verse 7 of Matthew 7. So let me uh, put it up on the screen. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You only have to look at Solomon's experience to see what the Lord is willing to do for his king and for all in his kingdom. And chapters 3 and 4 really go on to paint the great masterwork uh, that the Lord paints through his king, uh, keeping his promise, enabling his king to succeed, and so to his kingdom. Now, I did ask you uh, who saw the coronation uh, Uh, earlier on uh, and I got the order of service online and I watched some of the coronation and and did you notice that Solomon was a figure in the yeah that's right Danny Danny she's shaking her head vigorously yeah there was one Kings chapter 2 from last week where David instructs Solomon on what it is to be a king who listens to the word of God and there was Psalm uh, 72, which really picks up on this invitation and Solomon's answer today uh, that, uh, you know, uh, give me a discerning heart so that I might make right judgments. And the thing about Solomon appearing in the coronation service, because of course he's a great king and he's a king after, you know, that uh, is in the line of David, but it's actually because. Uh, Jesus is the greater king. Uh, And so, you know, not everything, you know, I wouldn't sign my name to everything that happened in the coronation service and it doesn't matter whether you're a monarchist or a constitutional monarchist or a Republican at this point. So much of it was worth watching to see how it reflected what we are hearing in God's word and through one kings at the moment where this is the mountaintop of Israel's experience of God but it did go downhill from Solomon he was not obedient ultimately and we need something more someone better the Lord Jesus is that king who gives of himself who brings life through his own death and life so we might live and brings to us ultimate riches, the riches of God's king and kingdom. And so in verses uh, 16, uh, sorry, in uh, what follows at the end of this chapter and in chapter 4, just bear that in mind, bear the way in which Solomon points us to Jesus as the kingdom benefits from Solomon as their king having this shape, God's shape as king, uh, how we benefit from the riches of our king and his kingdom. So in verses 16 to 28, pardon me, you've probably uh, heard of this episode before of the two women and the dead child who come to Solomon for him to make a judgment in a difficult circumstance. And how does the narrator finish it? 
uh, we don't have time to go through it all in detail, read it later. Uh, verse 28, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had uh, given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Then in chapter 4, verses 1 to 19, it pictures the order and the great organisation of Solomon's rule. Then in verses 20 to 28, it pictures the extent of the wealth of the kingdom and the way the kingdom served the king. Uh, and it shows us the borders of this kingdom span more than ever before or ever again. And with it, verse 24, there was peace on all sides. And you hear how this resonates when we get to the New Testament. We speak of it at Christmas, of the peace Jesus brings isn't first and foremost a peace from end of war between each other, but of the war between us and God. Peace is what we need with God and so too with each other. The the, the picture that's painted here that uh, directs us to the Lord Jesus continues to be painted uh, in the end of the passage in verses 29 to 34, where Solomon is wiser than anyone else. His fame spread to the nations and the nations come to hear his wisdom. Now, Jesus doesn't speak of his wisdom of one of, you know, dollars and cents in the bank uh, or properties around the Sydney property market. Uh, he doesn't speak of it in terms of material wealth, though he does speak of treasures in heaven, uh, of the great value of what God has given us. What are they? What is promised for those of us who follow him? The constant uh, just and governing hand of a good king who provides for we who follow him. Peace, peace with God, wisdom for life and eternal life. He holds nothing back. He gives us everything good. Uh, Jesus is God's wisdom for us. Now, do you remember when we were reading Ephesians uh, chapter 1? Uh, this is some months ago, uh, last year, chapter 1. Paul says in verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has loved us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What he's saying is. When we trust Jesus and continue in him, these are ours already. Lavished on us by the giving God. And while this world and many in it don't see it, in fact would deny it, the day is coming and will soon come when everyone will see the riches of our king and his kingdom. And so how should we respond to this word from God today? Amongst the joys, the messiness, the complexity of life, amongst its decisions and circumstances, 
Love God. Ask for a hearing heart. Ask it for yourself and each other and others. The Lord loves to answer this prayer. And when he does, you will be wise. Praise God for that. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this reminder today of the greatness of your king, of the greatness of the Lord Jesus' kingdom. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your open hands of generosity uh, that you lavish on us uh, what we don't deserve, what we could never earn, but that you generously give to us. We pray, Heavenly Father, give us the hearing hearts we need to hear and know and live obediently uh, to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.